Welcome to The Backpack, a podcast from Christ Community Church in Shelbyville, Kentucky. On The Backpack, we want to prepare you for the journey outside where following Jesus meets real life. Hey, welcome to The Backpack. My name is DJ, I'm one of your hosts, and thanks for joining me back at the canteen. This is one of our regular segments where we feature sermons from the preaching ministry here at Christ Community Church. This is the final week of our series, Hashtag Goals, a study of the book of Philippians. We are in Philippians chapter four this week. Pastor Blake calls us to look at the effects of the fact that God has drawn near to us. So let's listen in as he brings us this week's message. Um, We're going to be in Philippians 4 today, and uh, we've spent the last six weeks, and and no fear if you are here for the first time today or catching up with us, um, it's still going to apply for you, right? But but just to catch us up, we spent the last six weeks talking about how to be followers of Christ who set and reach towards goals together. And all the way back at the beginning, we realized goals are a a y'all thing. There are y'all, we do these things together. And so we're learning that our personal stories are really stories of Jesus' work in our lives. We've realized that our purpose is found in Christ's passion. And Christ's passion is, is making disciples or followers of himself. We've also learned that to live successfully, and we're going to have to share in the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. We're going to have to go through some J-curves if you were here with us last week and, and maybe in community group this week. And as we do that, we're assuming that somehow we'll reach resurrection, that Christ will will raise us up. But in this last chapter, Paul Paul is going to give us the secret ingredient to goal achievement. That's today's title, the secret secret ingredient to goal achievement. And I'm going to give you the answer before we really begin. This is like studying for a test and getting the answers to the test before you take the test. The answer is peace. It's peace. Now, all of us want peace. Every one of us wants peace. And here's how I know. Magnolia has been in a phase of climbing into our bed for a myriad of reasons the last couple of weeks. Uh, it, it's actually going to make the sermon twice. It's, it's how often this is happening, okay? This is, this is on the brain. And so this morning, I, I'm in the shower, and uh, I didn't even know this was happening, but she comes down, and she crawls in bed beside Caitlin, and she says to Caitlin, Mom, I just want to snuggle you. And then she says, I think we should snuggle so that we can have a peaceful and quiet morning before church instead of a, you know, not peaceful and quiet morning before church. This was her a few minutes later. Peaceful and quiet morning before church. Love her heart, right? But even as a five-year-old, She has this desire inside of her for peace, a calm morning. We all want peace, but most of us don't think about how peace leads to goal achievement. We think about it as this this state or this this feeling. But but as we read the scripture and as we go through chapter 4 today, we're going to see how peace is actually this, this secret ingredient to goal achievement. Paul's encouragement as we come to the end of the letter, is going to help us with this. So if you found Philippians chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 1. It says, So then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown, in this manner, stand firm 
in the Lord, dear friends. Stand firm. Persevere is, is, is another way that this could be said, right? We, we want to be people who stand firm and stick with it. And in fact, we often get inspired by stories of people who do that, right? We get inspired when we hear stories of Gracie Keene falling off the horse and, get, like, and getting back on. Like, that's part of it. And part of the reason that we're inspired by these people who stand firm and stick with it is because they often reach their goals, right? You persevere, you get to the end. Uh, I'm reminded of the story of a boy. Uh, when this guy was seven years old, his family was forced out of their home on a legal technicality, and he had to start working at the age of seven to help provide for his family. And then, at age nine, his mom died. At 22, he lost his job as a store clerk, and so at 23, he went into debt to become a partner in another small store. At 26, his business partner died, and he's left with this huge debt that took years to repay. At 28, after dating a girl for four years, he thought, maybe it's the time to ask her to marry me, so he did, and she said, no, sorry. Like, who is this guy? At 37, on his third try, he was elected to Congress. But two years later, he failed to be reelected. Maybe now you're starting to know. At 41, his four-year-old son died. At 45, he ran for the Senate and lost. At 47, he failed as the vice presidential candidate. At 49, he ran for the Senate again, lost. And at 51, he was elected president of the United States. Some of you have probably figured out, many of you probably know at this point, that this guy was Abraham Lincoln, a man that many consider to be the greatest presidential leader the country has ever had. And we look up to him, we talk about him, we aspire to be like him and like other people who, who stand firm and stick with it through, through hard things. To persevere, you see, requires a peace that comes from deep within. And it requires that because we all know this to be true. There are always going to be people and problems who get in the way. Amen? Amen. And that was true even for the Philippians. So Paul says in verse 1, stand firm, my joy and crown, my friends, my dear brothers, stand firm. Oh yeah, let's stick to it. Verse 2, we read, I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Daggone it. It doesn't say that, right? But he says, yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers who name, whose names are in the book of life. Can't people just get along? Like, wouldn't life be easier if people could just get along? Listen, if there's one thing I've learned, it's that there's always more than meets the eye in somebody's story. In every story. And in, the same was true for these two Philippian ladies. I, I love sometimes just the... God's just a really good author of Scripture. And, and sometimes there's some humor built into it. So Euodia... Her name means a prosperous journey, and Syntyche means a pleasant acquaintance. And now here they are in Scripture being told, agree, get over whatever petty thing you're dealing with and agree. So apparently when, you know, a, a, pre, a prosperous journey and a pleasant acquaintance got together, it wasn't a good thing. But boy, did they have people fooled, right? They'd even worked together alongside Paul for the gospel. But now, instead of contending for the gospel, they were contentious with each other. What does, this, what does this have to do with us, right? So 
over the last six weeks, and as, we, as we've done this series together, like you maybe started thinking about your spiritual life, some goals, some, some things that maybe you would aspire to. Maybe your goal was like Magnolia. You just wanted to get here to church and have a peaceful morning. And, and even in that, there's all kinds of people and problems that get in the way. And so if you're here in the room, give yourself a round of applause. Congrats on persevering, right? Amen. You might have been one of those people that was inspired to get involved in a group here at CCC. That y'all thing and like finding your goals together, you were, you were there. And you went, and then it was hard. You went to this group and you didn't feel like you fit with certain people in the group. Or maybe you just didn't downright care for them at all. And all of a sudden, people had gotten in the way of your goal to be in community. Or maybe it was the problems that came alongside of it, right? It, was, it wasn't a good fit for your kids. Or your schedule through the week was just already so full and you couldn't fit it in. Who knows? Maybe, maybe it was something different for you. You set out to work on telling your story with Jesus as the hero. That was one of the things that we talked about, right? And, and then when you, you open up that little workbook and, and you begin to reflect... God starts to bring into mind all these people and these problems that you didn't really care to remember. You're like, I'm just going to set that to the side for now. (laughs) I don't want to think about that. It could be that that maybe you've caught the vision for not just being a disciple, a follower of Christ, but a disciple maker. And Jesus is just starting to press on you a little bit that, man, there, there are Ways that he needs you to join him in going out to make disciples, not, not just come here to church and be fed. But as that starts pressing on you, that creates some problems in your life. It requires more of you. It requires more of your time. It requires you to come face-to-face with the things you don't know about your faith, right? It, it forces you to face your own sins. Now, here's the thing. Sitting in the chairs today are, are people who, who have tried those things, both in this church and in others. And as they've tried those things, right, as they've, as they've tried to join Jesus and be in community and set goals and grow as Christians, people and problems have gotten in the way. For some of you, like, like Wes and Tiff, like you gave up time to help start this church, or you gave up time to help start one of the churches that we've started. And you ask them, I guarantee you, like they faced problems, They've endured all kinds of conflict. And, and on a good day, like, it's fine, and we can sing about the goodness of God. But on other days, you can't help but hurt or grieve or be anxious about what God might ask you to do next. And so you kind of just get in your cocoon. Maybe for some of you, you made yourself, at, in this church or in another church, you made yourself vulnerable in a church setting. You opened up about what you were struggling with or what your story was, only to have that vulnerability taken advantage of or shamed, or mocked, and the church hurt you. For others of us, like, you you became a disciple maker. You invested in someone. You discipled them. You poured into them, only to watch them walk away, or maybe even worse, stab you in the back. For some, like, you've tried to be consistent for your family. You've tried to be a good spouse and a good parent, and your marriage is still struggling, or your kids are walking in the ways of the world, and it breaks your heart while making you feel helpless all at the same time. You're like, Blake, where are you going with all these things? Like, here's the thing. We can set all the spiritual goals that we want and hope for all the growth in Christ that we want, but the reality 
is that people and problems are always going to get in the way. And when we start to hit those walls, that discouragement that says hitting this goal is going to be tough, man, it causes most of us to begin to shrink into our shells a little bit. And when that happens, we just, we just set our spiritual lives to the side and we take up a different hobby or we distract ourselves with something else instead. And then we think, you know, like, we'll just leave it over there. That was true for a guy named Taylor. There's a, there's a church uh, whose men's ministry had been really successful under the leadership of this guy named Taylor. But in the midst of a, a major transition within the church, Taylor, Taylor got hurt, church hurt, deep by his own community, and he left the church. When he left the church, he, he wouldn't talk to anybody, and people figured, you know, well, just give him some time. He'll come back eventually, but he didn't. So when he didn't, some of the men in, in the church took it upon themselves to reach out to this guy. I mean, he would poured into them, and so they were going to do the same. And so they get together, and some of the guys from the church, they come up with this, this bold plan. 150 guys decide that they were going to set up camp in Taylor's front yard and make shifts to stay there until he came out. So they set up these shifts, and they have electric lines running from neighboring houses to power TVs. They said they had 20 smokers and grills around the yard, and, and they're just hanging out in this guy's front yard for the long haul. They have big signs all over the place. Taylor, come out. We love you. Taylor, we know you're in there. Taylor didn't like it. So Taylor called the cops. <laughs> so he calls the cops, and the police started showing up twice a day. And whenever the cops would show up and they pull into the driveway, the guys who were camping in the yard would just start cheering because Taylor was forced to come out of the house. So the cops show up and they're like, Woo, Taylor! We love you, Taylor! And they would just cheer until Taylor went back inside the house. How awesome is that? Six days, these dudes camped out in Taylor's front yard. And on the sixth day, when Taylor opened the door for the police and the men exploded with cheers, Taylor finally broke down. And he started crying. And he said, I'm sorry. And then he came out from his porch and greeted the guys who had camped in his yard and refused to go away. Now, why do I tell that story? Because I think it's a great picture of what Paul suggests to the Philippians as a solution to the people and the problems that often keep it hard, make it hard to reach our goals. Paul talks about how seeing peace and unity uh, come together in the church looks. And look at Paul's advice to the Philippians in the midst of conflict in verses 4 and 5. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. We talked a lot about that last week. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. Paul just slips in this really big idea that the Lord is near. And it's really big because most of the time, when we're not growing spiritually, when we're not reaching forward in our faith, when we're not seeing goals met, we're a lot like Taylor. We want to be left alone. We want to hide in our house. We'll even fight for that privacy. We'll push back on anything or anyone who's inviting us into a deeper relationship with Christ. Like, we, we look a lot like Taylor. But none of those things change the truth that the Lord is near. He's always near. There's never a time that he's not. You see, the Lord is near even if you don't understand him. 
sometimes we fear that we can't be close to the Lord if we, if we don't know all the scriptures or if we can't maybe, you know, spout off Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 like Wes did. Psh, that guy. Like, I don't even understand the Lord. How, how can he be near and how can I be near to him if I don't understand him? I was inspired by a couple of my buddies this week. Two completely different situations. One of these guys, you know, he, he was coming up to me, and sometimes I have awkward conversations because I'm a pastor. When people figure that out, they get really weird. And so he's like, you know, um, I know that you've got the whole Bible memorized. I was like, oh, hold on. No, I don't. But then he says, listen, I, I don't know all the scriptures. He's like, but, and he's like I'm not a very smart guy. I, I, can, I can read like one line at a time. But every time I read that one line, it's like God says something new to me. I understand him a little bit more. I'm like, yeah, man, keep going. I was inspired by another guy. He's like, man, I don't know all the fruits of the Spirit. Like, I feel like I should know that at this point in my journey, but I, don't, I, I couldn't say all the fruits of the Spirit. But when my son asked me to help him with this little crossword that had the fruits of the Spirit in it, I was thankful that I got to learn right alongside of him. Man, the Lord is near even if you don't understand him. Isn't that good and beautiful? The Lord is near, too, even if you don't feel his presence. Even if you don't feel his presence. This past week, right, I, I told you, Magnolia has been in and out of our bed. Well, I, I don't even know which nights and how many nights anymore. It's kind of annoying. But when she was battling a cough earlier, we would hit her with some meds at bedtime, no shame, and then put her down, praying that she would sleep through the night. And, and Needless to say, despite all that, there were still multiple nights where she finds her way to our bed. Now, here's what's crazy. I'm a really deep sleeper anyway. Like, I don't remember very many sleepless nights in Blake Lawyer's life. So throw a couple of interrupted nights in there, and I'm really out. And so after a couple nights of this happening, Magnolia would be all but attached to my back, and I would have no clue that she was right there beside me. No clue! But that didn't mean that she wasn't there. You see, it was my deep sleep that kept me from recognizing that she was in the bed. Not her absence. The same is true with the Lord. Just because you don't feel the Lord's presence doesn't mean he isn't there. The Lord is near. There's never a time that he's not near. The Lord is near even if you don't please him with your actions. I think this is a huge struggle for us. You know, I appreciate the quote that's floated around the internet recently that says, religion says, I messed up. My dad is going to kill me. But the gospel says, I messed up. I need to call my dad. The gospel reminds us that being near to God is, is important, even when we mess up. And we're reminded that it was while we were messed up that he came near to us. Romans 5.8 says, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. He came down to earth and he got near sinners and he, he died for us. The Lord is always near. Isaiah helps us think then about uh, what that should mean for us. Like, what, what should our response, our action be in light of this, this simple little truth that the Lord is near? Isaiah 55.6 says, seek the Lord while he may be found, Call to him while he is near. You're like, wait a second, Blake. While he is near, while, while he may be found, is the Lord always near or not? Like, do I have to go find him? Well, let's say that last night, a guy came into the worship center here, 
and lost a very, very valuable present. It was a gift from his dying mother, a diamond. And he knew it was here, but he just didn't have it in his hands. Now, if that guy walked up to me right now and said, Blake, I lost just last night a very valuable diamond, and I'm willing to, to give anyone that can find that diamond $20,000. I might as well quit preaching at that point. Because you're going to start looking for the diamond. Right? How many of you would be, be, be looking for that diamond? You, you probably wouldn't wait. You'd look around you first. Maybe if you were respectful, you're like, I'm just, just checking. Under the chair? Nope, not there. Okay, I got my eyes out. I'm going to look for the sparkle, right? Like you're, you're paying attention. You're looking for that diamond. And you see the Lord is like that. While we may not always know exactly where he is, we know and can trust that he is near. He is here. And even though you might gain a lot of money finding that diamond, seeking Jesus is that much more important. D.L. Moody, who first told that story that I told, asked the question this way. My friend, isn't the salvation of your soul worth more than all the diamonds that the world has seen? Isn't it worth more than the whole world itself? And isn't it the best thing that you can do today to seek the Lord while he may be found and to call to him while he is near? Say, all right, Blake, I'm ready. Let's seek the Lord. How do we do this? Let's go. Paul's going to help us, all right? Three ways as we look through the rest of Philippians 4 that we can seek the Lord while he is near. Number one, the Lord is near, so ask him everything. Ask him everything. If Peyton Manning would have been in my high school football practices, I would have asked him everything about playing quarterback. Okay? If you're a painter and Bob Ross was in your studio, you would have asked him everything. You didn't have to. Just turn on PBS. Right? But, but ask him everything because the Lord is near. Verses 6 and 7, Paul writes, Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, Present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You can ask God anything. Anything. You're like, well, when should I ask? How do I ask? What does it look like to ask God anything? Should I like make sure and have my list ready in the morning on Sunday? No, pray always, the scripture tells us. Many times the most vibrant prayer life is one that changes the conversation in our head from a conversation with ourselves to a conversation with God. But most importantly, this verse reminds us to pray before worry wins. Don't worry, it says. So as soon as you become aware of that worry, present your request to God. And you're like, how do, how do I do that? And, and, and Paul writes, with thanksgiving. And you're like, wait, What? If I'm worried, how can I ask God something with gratitude? Well, you see, it's a gratitude that knows God's near enough to be asked. Since the Lord is near, ask him everything. God, thank you for being near. Here is my request. And the more you do this, the more natural it becomes. And, and there's a reason for that, because when you ask God everything, you experience the peace of God's protection. Verse 7 says that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What does that look like? Sometimes that means in a situation where there's no clear way forward, you're still left in that situation, but there's a peace that, 
that passes understanding around you. Sometimes that means in a situation that is chaotic, God's peace protects your heart and your mind so that you can see clearly for the situation for what it is and, and make a wise decision in the midst of the chaos. Sometimes that means that God answers your prayer to change the situation entirely. And what results from the change that God brings is a peace that protects your heart and mind from entering into this low-level suffering. Ask God everything, and you will experience the peace of God's protection. That's one way that you draw near to the Lord. Number two, the Lord is near, so dwell with him. Dwell with him. Paul writes in verses 8 and 9, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you've learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Dwell with God. Spend time with him so that you can think about things, uh, think about the right things like God thinks about the right things. Take every thought captive in his presence and ask him if that thought is from him. If he's near, you can ask him about the thoughts that you're thinking. And that kind of makes sense, but at the same time, we've said before that Christianity isn't just the power of positive thinking. So it's like, well, how do I do this dwell thing? How do I dwell on these right thoughts? Colossians 3.16 is really helpful. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And as we read that, all of a sudden we, we realize the uber-practical side of reading scripture, of, of being in groups together of sharing Bible passages with one another, of singing out loud with our church family and children. All of these things help us to dwell with God because the Spirit lives in every believer. Being in the Word with believers then helps us to dwell with Him. And when you do, Scripture tells us that the God of peace will be with you. Sometimes we have to fight to remain in the presence of God. It's, it's a real battle for all of us to do those things, to continue to dwell, to continue to think about what is lovely, true, pure, just, honorable, and beautiful. It's hard to do that. And it's why James says in James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. As followers of Christ, we don't want to be double-minded. We want to dwell on what is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable. We want to dwell with the truth of God. We experience the peace of God's presence when we dwell with Him. So since the Lord is near, we ask Him anything. Right? That, that's, that's us vocalizing, sharing with Him where we are. But then we dwell with Him, and, and he, he corrects our thinking. He brings us into right thought with Him. But the last thing that we can do to seek the Lord, because He is near, is be content. The Lord is near, so be content. Paul closes the letter by reflecting a little bit more on his own story and situation. Listen in. You might catch the familiar verse in a whole new way, as, as DJ suggested as he read it earlier. Beginning of verse 10, Paul writes, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, because once again you renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me but you lack the opportunity to show it. 
I don't say this out of need, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Still, you did well by partnering with me in my hardship. And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. But I've received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Knowing and trusting that the Lord was near, Paul could be content in any set of circumstances. I want us to notice that contentment isn't something that magically appears after you've gotten to a certain level of achievement. Contentment isn't something that magically appears after there's a certain number in our bank account. Contentment is something we choose because we recognize that the Lord is near. And as we choose contentment, we realize that God has supplied everything we needed. Everything we needed to be his faithful follower right where we are. I want to share with you the story of Richard Pope. Richard Pope is a 25-year-old church planner in Salisbury, Maryland. In fact, if you've ever given to Christ Community Church, you've helped support his church plant through our giving to the cooperative program. But Richard isn't your average church planner. At 25, Richard is on his third round of cancer, and this time, it's terminal. Richard was born to a mother who was raped as a carnival worker, and after that experience, she went back to an abusive boyfriend. Richard himself was abused a few years later by another family member at Christmas. After that, he attempted suicide twice before he started working with a Christian at a fast food restaurant that shared Jesus with him. From there, Jesus changed everything. Richard and his, Peyton, and his wife Peyton failed at their first attempted church plant. But they knew that God was still calling them to that. And so they started again. They just stood firm in that calling. They persevered. They started gathering a launch team again. They had everybody together, and they'd been preparing the space, and they had all their teams set. And one month before the church was supposed to launch, Richard received his terminal diagnosis. What do you do when you're told one month before starting a new church that you have two to five years to live? His doctors ask him, Richard, are you a person that prays? That's your hope. It took, uh, took a week for Richard to find the courage to even tell his wife. He lied to her. After a week, he told her about the diagnosis, and they knew that they had to tell the launch team. It was only fair. And so 
they gathered everybody together and they, they gave everyone an off ramp. They're like, look, we, we get it. This is a completely weird situation now. And so no expectations. You, you are released from your commitment. But instead, the team rallied around him and Canvas Church was born. The church was united and at peace with what God had called them to do. Richard's new line became, God knew what he was doing when he called me to plant a church. And God knew that I was going to have terminal cancer. That must mean that God wants me to plant a church with cancer. Since the launch, Canvas Church has reached hundreds of people for Christ against all the odds. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. One of the things that Richard led Canvas Church to do um, was to be a part of a 100-mile walk to raise awareness for uh, people uh, tempted by suicide, just like he had been. And so Richard walked 101 miles with terminal cancer while carrying a cross. It brings new meaning to Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Church, it's because of people like Paul, people like Richard, that I can stand before you and say, whatever you're going through today, the Lord is near. He is near. You can ask him anything. You can dwell with him and have peace. You can be content with whatever your circumstances are right now. And what's crazy is that his peace will lead to the progress of the goals that he has for you. See, like, how, how could you know that? Like that? Well, you see, it's always been that way, that the peace of God has led to the progress of God's goals. I love this little verse in Acts 9.31. It says, so the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had, what's that say? Peace. And was strengthened. This is a time where they're being persecuted and they had peace and they were strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. I love the ESV translation that says it multiplied. Here's the deal. All of us are like Richard. We're all terminal. Maybe ours doesn't have the timeline attached to it that his does. But even his timeline is really an unknown. He's still faithfully, he is preaching the gospel in Salisbury, Maryland this morning. Amen? He is extending to people there the same invitation that you're about to hear. That in Jesus Christ, you can have peace that passes understanding. What do we know? The Lord is near. And he wants to give you peace. So as the band comes today and as we invite you to respond, I, I I want to encourage you with this from Jeremiah 29, 13, where the Lord says, You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Before you can ask him anything, you need to ask him one thing. With all of your heart, Jesus, would you save me? A sinner with a terminal diagnosis 
please, Jesus, would you save me? And his answer is always yes. And as you keep seeking him, he will guard your heart and mind with peace. His peace will be with you as you dwell with him, and he'll give you the peace that you need to stand firm as you achieve every goal that he has for you. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we pray to you, we ask you, because you are near, to work in our hearts and our minds and our lives right now in this moment. I pray, Spirit, that you would deeply convict us of our sin and the terminal diagnosis that it brings. But, Spirit, I pray that in that same moment, you would pour over us the hope and peace that Jesus brings to us on the cross. Spirit, for anyone that, that needs to come and, and make their faith public, that, that needs to accept you as their Lord and Savior, to ask you, would you save me? Lord, I pray that you would give them the courage to step out today. Lord, for all the things in the stories and lives of the people in this room that are not at peace, I pray that you would give them a faith to, to trust you, to ask you, to dwell with you in the midst of those things so that they might experience peace that only comes from you. Help us to come to you with gratitude, knowing that you are near. Lord, make us so aware of your presence as we respond to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, DJ again. Thanks for joining us at the canteen and listening to this week's message. Uh, we hope it was helpful to you and that you're encouraged and challenged as we set out this week to walk the walk of faith together, joining Jesus in going outside. Uh, if you're a part of Christ's community, hey, let's let's lean into this. Let's not let this just be an academic exercise, but let's apply what we've heard today. How can you be applying this truth in your life this week? If you're not part of the Christ Community family, we're glad that you joined us, glad that you found us, and we hope that, uh, that this message was helpful to you as well. One encouragement we would give you, if you're not part of a local church, uh, please don't use these resources as a substitute for that. It is a pale imitation of the real thing as we live in community with one another. So if you're in the Shelbyville area, we'd love to have you come out and join us. But wherever you are, find a local church, get plugged in and experience Christian community as it was meant to be, and continue to use these resources to supplement that journey. But please don't replace it. Thanks for joining us this week. Grab your backpack, and I will see you on the trail. Thanks for listening to The Backpack, a production of Christ Community Church. The Backpack is hosted by DJ Williams, Daniel Bright, and Josiah Ward. You can learn more about Christ Community Church at loveshelbyville.com.